with me this morning to the Old Testament uh, book of Genesis and two quick readings, uh, Genesis chapter 8 and Genesis chapter 1, uh, chapter 8 first and the last verse of chapter 8, verse 22. And it says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. And then in chapter 1, verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Amen. A seed is the most potent symbol of life that there possibly could be. The fact of it is, we all began life as a seed. In Genesis chapter 1, those couple of verses that we just read together, shows that the whole cycle of nature is found in the multiplication of the seeds. Now, uh, given the right conditions, uh, seeds are almost indestructible. They can lie dormant in the desert sands, sometimes for years, until the rains come and then they burst forth into life. Have you ever seen one of those uh, wildlife programs? You see a before and after shot, and now you see the desert, and then you see another shot uh, after some years or months and it's just carpeted with flowers. And all of those seeds just lay dormant waiting for the rain to come. Under the right conditions, uh, they can survive apparently even thousands of years in tombs or encased in amber. Now the amazing power and mysterious workings of a seed is not only true in the natural world, but also in the spiritual. As our lives began in the natural as a seed, so also in the spiritual. First Peter 1.23 says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, which is what we are because we die, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which abides, lives and abides forever. Somehow, somehow the word of God got into our spirit and took root. And the Holy Spirit came and watered that seed until it burst into new life. We became a new creature in Christ. And then also as our natural lives Began as a seed, so too they will end as a seed. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the great uh, resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, Paul said, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs one from another in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body, and so forth. It goes on. And so, we end life as a seed. Sometimes... A cemetery is called God's Acre. God's Acre. Where the body of the saints are planted as a seed, as it were. Now that's one of the reasons why, and probably one of the chief reasons why, that Christianity and Judaism, and perhaps even Islam, bury bodies rather than burn bodies rather than cremation because of the symbolism of being sown as a seed waiting for the trump of God for that seed to burst into new life again where God will give us a new body and even though it's sown in corruption it will be raised again in incorruption sown in dishonor but raised in honor and so forth and so whether it's in life or whether it's in death, the seed, therefore, is a representative of our natural and our spiritual lives. So then, what we say, what we do, what we are, what we are becoming is likened unto the working of a seed. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, about the secrets of a seed. A seed is an amazing, almost unbelievable, absolutely incredible creation of Almighty God. Now, a seed, first of all, can only produce if it is sown. It can only produce if it is sown. John 12, 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, when you look at a seed, there is that outer shell or skin. And some, depending on the seed, some are harder or thicker than others. And at the heart of that seed, there is the life germ, the embryo that's at the heart of it. 
And between that life germ and between that outer shell, there is that other stuff. There's a scientific term for you. That once that seed bursts into life, then that which surrounds it, it feeds off that until it becomes a little seedling and then gives it the strength and the growth to pop out of the ground. A seed, it needs soil. It needs moisture. It needs heat. It needs the proper conditions that are conducive in order for that seed then to be put into the ground in a sense for it to die before it comes to life. And this is the wonderful thing about a seed. Now, in the spiritual, it's just the same principle that we have to die to ourselves before we can live unto Christ. Jesus put it this way. He says, if a man saves his life, he will lose it. But if he loses it for Christ, he will find it. And so whenever you come to Christ, in a sense, you are surrendering all to him. You're dying to self that you may rise up and live for him. Seems a simple illustration and a simple process, but actually it's not. It's death. There's things that you have to lay down in life in order to live for the master. I remember whenever I died, and my wife died with me in this, there came a time when I felt the call of God in my life, and you could not have convinced me otherwise. I had no idea what I could do or what I was going to do or what I should do, but I knew the call of God was in me. And then there came a time for that to begin to manifest. But it caused us to be in the position. We were married, decent jobs, decent income, car, mortgage, the whole thing that just about everybody else has. But there came a choice we had to make to go for God. And if that meant laying aside maybe plans that we had, so be it. We had to die to ourselves in order to live unto him. Do we regret that? Not for one second. The best thing we ever did. But we had to die before we could live. What about you? What part of your life have you or are you sowing? Because that's what it's like. It's like sowing your life in order to, for it to produce more. It can only produce if it's sown. Elisha was a farmer's son. And evidently his father was quite a wealthy man. Because whenever Elijah the great prophet came to him... <clears throat> and took off his, his mantle, his outer cape or cloak, and put it over the shoulders of young Elisha, indicating to him, because God has spoken to Elijah several months before this. Remember when he was in the backside of the desert, when he had ran from Jezebel, and God had spoken to him that he was to anoint Elisha as a prophet. And so, by putting his mantle on him, Elisha knew what that meant, that he was the one that God was calling to be the prophet in Israel. But whenever Elijah put the mantle on Elisha, 
He was standing behind 12 yoke of oxen. He was out in the field working for his father. He was a farmer's son, would inherit the farm, no doubt. He really had taken his position of responsibility. That was his future. That was all he could ever see. But God had other plans. So what did he do? As soon as he recognized the call of God in his life, he went home. He said, I need to go home and kiss my mom and dad. I need to say goodbye to them. He's going to have to lay down his family life and everything. And then he took a yoke of those oxen, he killed them, and he took the implements that the oxen were using, the, the plows, and he cut them up and he made a fire and he made a sacrifice unto God. In other words, he was burning his bridges. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. Abraham was the same. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of that heathen, pagan land and his heathen, pagan background. And God called him. He didn't know where he was going, but he went out by faith, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And God had called him, and he knew it. So by faith he left his mom, his dad, his belongings, his relatives. And he went out by faith to follow the Lord. And that sense he died to himself and to any ambitions he had or any future career he might have had. He died to that and went for God. Moses. Did you ever think about Moses? How that he was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? And whenever he was 40 years old, so this wasn't an exuberance of youth decision. He didn't take a sudden rush of blood to the head. Having thought about his position, having felt the call of God in his life, having known that he was called by God, at that moment when he was 40, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he was prepared to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Think about it. He had untold wealth. He had tremendous influence and affluence. He was a man that was instantly recognizable, a household name. He had fame, he had money, he had power, he had everything. And he made his choice. If it means I've got to suffer affliction with the people of God, then I'm going to turn my back on that. And that's exactly what he did. Next 40 years wasn't as easy for him either. Out in the backside of the desert in Midian, looking after sheep. Big difference between that and being in a palace, isn't it? But God used him mightily. Peter, James, and John were fishermen, probably second or third generation fishermen. Not anglers, but professional fishermen. That was their business, the only business they ever knew. They were brought up as wee boys to go out in their daddy's boat. But when Jesus says, come follow me, that's exactly what they did. Now, God may not call you into quote-unquote full-time ministry. He may not ask you to leave your family or leave your hearth or your home the way a missionary has to do and start 
to go to another nation, learn another language, eat different food, live under a different climate. He may not ever ask you to do that, but you can be sure you're going to have to die to something. Because that's the principle. If you want to live for him, those are the choices that we've got to make. Because a seed can only produce if it is sown. And a seed can only produce after its own kind. We saw that in those couple of verses that we read in Genesis chapter 1. According to its own kind. It says that about three or four times in those couple of verses we read. That is the unalterable law of God that he put within this wonderful creative nature that we have got. A seed can only produce after its own kind. What you sow, that is what you will reap. And that is the same in the spiritual as in the natural. Why do we think it would be any different? Galatians 6 and 8, Paul speaks about the spiritual counterpart of this. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he also shall reap. There's the law, as in the natural, so in the spiritual, so that we could understand that. We know that if we plant certain seeds, we know that that's exactly what we'll get coming up. Why should it be any different spiritually? It isn't. And God made it so that we could understand that, that what we sow spiritually, we shall reap also spiritually be that good or be that bad. It's a kind of a basic law of physics, isn't it? For every action, there is at least an equal and opposite reaction. That's how a jet engine works, isn't it, Trevor? I should have Trevor up here. He works for Rolls-Royce in Derby. He's an engine expert. And he knows that Newton's law of motion comes into play, doesn't it? And how that, that reaction engine, that internal combustion engine, for the most part, when that jet of fuel is spewed into that, and that ignites, and you see that great shoot out of it, the back end of it, that great exhaust comes out, but then that power forces that forward. There's an equal and opposite reaction. And the greater action, the greater reaction. It's a basic law. And it's the same in the spiritual. So that's why it is vital in the spiritual to sow the right kind of seeds. Because they will work both positively and negatively. What seeds are you sowing spiritually? What seeds are you sowing with your mouth? Because your tongues are important. Bible's got a lot to say about what we say, hasn't it? The Bible has got a lot to say about what we say, hasn't it? <laughs> You're all very quiet this morning. You sow, you reap. You give, you receive. You die, you live. Galatians 6 and 8, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, 
But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Every time you sow to the Spirit, every time you worship, every time you read the Word of God, every time you pray, every time you gather at the house of God, you're sowing to the Spirit and you will reap a harvest from that. And if you neglect that and sow to your flesh instead, that's what you'll reap also. It's a law. You're laying up treasures in heaven for yourselves. Yes, there are rewards here too, but there are far greater rewards ahead of you in eternity. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6.38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. With the same measure that you measure out, it shall be measured back to you again. It's an unalterable law of God. Apostle Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And in his particular instance, he just happened to be speaking about an offering that was going to relief of Christians who really desperately needed help and he was calling upon this church to help another church. And so he asked them to give liberally and sacrificially. Then he says, he who sows sparingly will reap also sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap also bountifully. Because Christ is the Lord of the harvest. And all of us who have been saved, born again, any length of time, have proven this law. If you sow bountifully, you shall receive bountifully, no matter what it may be. And God has got a way to give you a harvest that you never imagined. And just when you think, well, if I do that, God will do this, you do that and God will do something else bigger and better and greater than what you thought he could do. Because God is the God of the harvest. And so, a seed can only produce of its own. A seed can only produce after its own kind. So be careful about the seeds that you sow. Because that's the harvest you're going to get. In a sense... Your future, in a sense, is behind you. The seeds you sowed yesterday, or last week, or last month, or last year, that are behind you, actually that's going to be your harvest for the future. So it's very important to sow the right seeds in your life. And thirdly, a seed will always produce more than what is sown. Always produce more than what is sown. I know that it's, it's virtually a cliche now, but it's true nevertheless. Where somebody said that anyone can count the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in the seed. And that's true, isn't it? Cut an apple open. You'll get one, two, maybe three, four seeds. Easy to count. But take one of those seeds and try to think. Now I wonder how many apples potentially, is in that seed. If I sowed that little seed and I nurtured it and it became a little seedling, 
and I transplanted it, and it became a sapling. And I nurtured and fertilized it and protected it to become a full-grown apple tree. And then I got a harvest of apples from that one tree. Year after year after year after year after year. And each of those apples, if I planted every one of those seeds, and they grew into trees, and they produced harvest year after year, how many? Incalculable. Only God knows the number of apples that are in a seed. Such is the potential of a seed. When God came to Abraham, when he was an old, old man, and told him that he was going to have a son in his old age, and the end your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And I will multiply your seed as the stars in the heavens, as the sand on the seashore. And you will be called a father of a multitude through that one seed. And he did. And that seed is still with us to this day in the Middle East. The sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael. And those who came from that. In Pinellas Park in Florida many, many years ago, an old Southern Baptist preacher by the name of Mordecai Ham. There's a name to conjure with, isn't it? And he put up a tent, as often they did in those days, to hold an evangelistic crusade. Many people came to Christ. And one night a bunch of young people walked down to the front to come to Christ to acknowledge Christ as their Savior. And among that bunch of young men and women was a young man called William. He was tall, he was lanky, he was only 16 years old. And he came down give his heart to Christ and he didn't know and Mordecai didn't know and William's parents didn't know and nobody in that tent knew that what they were looking at that night would become the foremost evangelist of the 20th century William Franklin Graham we know him as Billy he's still alive to this day by the way and to date, when they taught it up, all who made a profession of Christ through his ministry, throughout his whole ministry, from that day, was 3.2 million people. That's a lot of apples in the seed, isn't it? In fact, Bob and Alma McAllister, the great mysteries in the Congo for over 40 years, told me, he said, in that 40 years, I lost count of the missionaries in Africa that I met that was saved under Billy Graham's meeting in Harangay in England in the 50s. He just lost count of them. Is that many? A lot of apples in that seat. And that is reckoned that through his face-to-face -face ministry, by the way, he preached face-to-face -face with more people than anybody in history with his ministry in the flesh, with TV, with radio, and through literature, he has reached over 2.2 2 
billion people. That's a lot of apples in one seed, isn't it? Twelve-year-old boy. Again, this was in Florida. His mother brought him out one day to the sidewalk in the town where they lived. And here's what she said to him. She says, I can't do this anymore. You sit here and I'll come back for you. As a 12-year-old boy, he sat down waiting for his mother to come back. Three days later, he's still sitting in the same place waiting for his mom to come back and she never came back. A Christian man going to work those three days saw this young boy thought, that's strange. And so he stopped. He talked to him. The boy told him the story. He says, come home with me and my wife. And he paid for him to go that week to a Christian youth conference. Never been to a conference, never been to church, never been to anything. But he went and he gets saved. And today that young man, Bill Wilson, of Metro Ministries, New York, has got the biggest Sunday school in the world. 22,000 children meet every Saturday. And that's only in America. They reckon there's as many again in India and in the Philippines and in Africa and all over the world. And they have sidewalk Sunday school too. That's a lot of apples in the seed, isn't it? Just one young boy left on his own and a Christian passing by. But you see, God had a plan, hadn't he? There is so much potential that's in a seed. Whenever Jesus died and they put him in that tomb and they buried him, they had no idea what they were burying. Sure they hadn't. They had no idea that three days later he would burst forth with newness of life, resurrection life. And the world has never been the same. And today there are untold millions, if not billions, that own him as Savior and Lord. Seed will always produce more than what is sown. And that's why I always encourage our Sunday school teachers. Because you never know who is under your care. You never know. You never know the potential in all of those little ones for the kingdom of God. We're almost finished. A seed will produce if the conditions are right and if the time is right. Now you know that in the natural that every seed has got its own different gestation period. Uh, mushrooms grow overnight. Acorns take a lot longer, don't they? And so timing is very important. 
and likewise in the spiritual. That's why it says in Galatians 6 and 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing or while doing good, the new King James says, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. For in due season, and we don't know what the due season is. And that's why we've got to walk by faith and not by sight. Because we don't know what the due season is on the seeds that we sow. But we do know there is a due season. And we've got to keep walking with the Lord until that due season comes for us to get our harvest. Therefore, he said, and let me paraphrase, he could have said, therefore, because it might take a while, don't lose heart. <laughs> don't give up. You've sown the seed. The harvest will come. Hebrews 6 and 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Things that you have done that you have long since forgotten about, God hasn't. He's recorded it. It's in his book. And you're due a blessing. You're due a reward. Sometimes, you know, things happen to us just out of the blue, we say. Boy, I wasn't expecting that. Where did that come from? Well, maybe you'd sown that seed a long, long time ago. You'd forgotten all about it. But God hadn't. He had it in his book. And he remembered. And it was your due season. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Listen to it knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The devil will try to tell you you wasted your time. It was useless. What was the point of it all? It's a lie. Don't listen. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And he will find a way to reward you. Ecclesiastes 11 and 1 Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. The allusion here is to a particular in Egypt, where they would throw seed. Whenever the Nile overflooded its banks, they would just go out and throw seed on the waters. And then when the Nile subsided, the seed was sown on fertile ground to the bystander who didn't know seeing somebody just throwing seed out onto the water it looks foolishness stupid what's he doing that for he never got that back that's gone but he knew exactly what he was doing and it would come back after many days and so sometimes you have scattered your seed into the waters as it were <laughs> and you may have scratched your head and wondered where it went well, God knows, and in due season, you will come again. It will come again. Psalm 126. This is the last one, verse five and six. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, 
bringing his sheaves with him. Sometimes it's a sacrifice. You give and you give and you give and you give and sometimes it's hard to give. It's painful. It's a sacrifice. You're sowing in tears. It seems to be everything's mocking you. Maybe it's the most difficult time of your life to give. But you give anyway. You've given that time. You've given that effort. You've given that love. You've given that compassion. You've given and given and given. Even through your tears you've given. That's when it becomes precious seed. Sometimes it's easy to give, isn't it? Hardly even miss it. You just do it and never think about it. But there's other times it's a real challenge, isn't it? It's really tough. You have to sit down and think about it. And it's going to cost you to do it. And you may weep your tears in doing it. But it becomes precious seed, God said. And doubtless you shall come again with rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. <laughs> the harvest is coming. Harvest time is coming. Amen? And the natural churches is getting ready for harvest services. Now this hasn't been a good summer. Farmers are crying out. They're looking for a wee bit of sun. Please, just another couple of weeks of sun. Get things ripened. But harvest will come. Seed has been sown. Takes some time. So there are some secrets of the seed. As in the natural, so in the spiritual. Amen. Ken is going to come and lead us in communion this morning. If you would do that, that would be good.